Good morning, Valley Real Life. How y'all doing? Great. All right. Well, good. Well, glad you could make it. Glad you could brave the snow. How many of you uh, ended up shoveling some uh, snow or ice or water yesterday? All right. Uh, well, uh, be sure to thank the people who are uh, helping on grounds who have been clearing it out for us today uh, here so that you could be here. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jason, and I'm one of the elders here. Uh, my family and I have been attending Valley Real Life for about 14 years now. Um, my wife and I, we've been married for about 25 years, which says something about her ability to love other people a lot. Um, we have a son who's attending Eastern Washington University. Uh, he's going to be an entomologist. He's going to study bugs, because I guess somebody has to. And uh, he's turning 20 this year, which is frightening to me. I'm, I'm really struggling with that one. Over the 14 years, I've been a volunteer here. I've been on staff for a couple of years, um, employed full-time here. I've been employed a couple of times part-time while having a full-time job elsewhere because sleep is dumb. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, this last September, I became an elder. I'm also someone who has struggled with finances um, and uh, just kind of money in general. I grew up uh, fairly poor. Uh, we had people from our church regularly leaving groceries on our doorstep. Uh, we had somebody bring a washing machine to my mom just so that she could do laundry. Um, we didn't have a whole lot. So I ended up paying my own way through college. I ended up uh, having to work almost full time during college to do that. So it means that when my wife and I got married, uh, we started out with a lot of debt. We had student loans, we had credit cards. Um, and as we started, as our situation started to improve, started to get a little bit better, uh, I found myself falling into the trap of comparing myself to others and what they had, looking at coworkers, some of which were 10 or 20 years older than me, who had more than me, and I wanted to have what they had. And so that started to incur a little bit more credit card debt as I tried to live to a certain standard that I thought I should be at. I am getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but all of this to say that for some of you, I understand where you're at. Uh, I've been in your shoes, uh, not literally because that's gross, but I, have, I, I do understand where you're coming from. In fact, I even understand the, def the defense mechanism that some of us have when it comes to money, when it comes to anybody standing up here and talking about money. And that defense mechanism is, oh, here they go again, they just want my money. If that's something, if that's something in your heart, if that's something you're concerned with, I want to remove that barrier to you hearing what God has for you. And I wanna do that by saying, if that is something that you're worried about, if you think we're just after your money, give somewhere else. Now, notice I didn't say go somewhere else, I just said give somewhere else. And the reason for this is because we want you to feel the financial freedom that comes by understanding God's idea of what our relationship with our finances should be. That's why we're doing this sermon series, The ABCs of Financial Freedom, is so that you can feel that. And we believe very strongly about that and believe that it is something to help you and to something that you can take and use in your everyday life. But if for whatever reason you think that it's all about us and wanting your money, I would just encourage you, give somewhere else. There are a lot of great churches in the area. But understand, I'm not saying not to give because the Bible's pretty clear when it talks about giving and being generous. And I want you to experience God's blessing there. So last week, Dan talked about our attitude and changing our attitude towards finances. Uh, he talked about five different attitude changes that we should have. Uh, going from, I don't need a plan to, if I don't follow God's plan, I don't have a prayer 
going from what I do with my money is my business to what I do with God's money is God's business. Changing the attitude from there's nothing I can do about my situation to there's nothing God can't do about my situation. Going from I'm giving to get something to I'm giving for no other reason than I love God. And finally, changing our attitude from honoring God with my wealth is where I want to end up to honoring God with my wealth is where I want to begin. So last week we talked about attitude, letter A in the ABCs. This week we're gonna talk about the bondage B of debt. I'll let you guys guess which letter is next week. Um, But we're gonna talk about this idea of debt. Aren't you guys excited to talk about debt? Yeah, that's about as energetic as I was hoping for. In reality, we kind of should be because there's so much of it. Uh, The truth is America is addicted to debt. And as Christians, many of us are as well. Credit card debt alone is a huge issue. If you look at the graph here, Um, It shows a breakdown of credit card debt by generation, and it shows how much people carry over from month to month. For those of you that are part of Generation X, those of you born between 1965 and 1980, congratulations, you win the prize for carrying the most debt month by month. I'm part of Generation X, my people, yes, we win the prize for carrying the most, over $8,000. This graph is actually a year old, and all these numbers have gone up. So it's over $8,000 every month is being carried over month by month by people in Generation X. Now, lest any of you baby boomers born between 1946 and 1964, lest any of you think, hey, we've got it under control, you'll notice that you're really not much uh, behind us Gen Xers. Now, the millennials out there, those of you born between 1981 and 1996, I mean, you you might think, hey, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about this. Look at my my credit card debt's only about $4,000 a month. But as it turns out, millennials actually carry the highest debt load of any of us um, in terms of not just credit card debt, but student loans, mortgage, and all of these other things. In fact, 57%, more than half of millennials' income goes to just paying debt. So we definitely have a debt problem. And in fact, credit card debt continues to go up year after year. So there's a need to educate. There's a need to bring this kind of thing up at church even. Um, And the reason is because as Christians, we should actually be pretty good money managers. But the reality is many of us are not. So why should we be good at it? Well, the Bible says a lot about managing money. In fact, it says a lot about generally leading a good life and it's been saying it for a really long time. For instance, if you look at the book of Leviticus, this is an Old Testament book, uh, the book of Leviticus. Uh, it was voted, uh, it's been voted most boring book of the Bible for the last 2,300 years and running. <laughs> but it does say a lot about God and the Israelites and their relationship. One of the things it talks about is dietary restrictions. And it actually goes in and talks about you should eat animals that convert grass that we can't eat into meat that we can eat. It says that we should not eat animals that carry a lot of disease or that compete with us for food or that are nature's natural cleanup crew, vultures and clams and things like that. It actually talks about all of that. If you look at it, God was giving them direction long before we figured these things out. It has a lot of laws about sanitation as well, sanitary laws. It said that if you touched a dead or or a diseased animal or person, you were to bathe avoid contact with others, and then either clean or burn your clothing. 
Not a bad idea. It said that if you were showing signs of sickness, you should be quarantined. Don't you wish your coworkers did that? All of this was long before germ theory uh, was a thing or we discovered bacteria. All of that was in the Bible, written 2,300 years ago, and there's a ton more. And as Christians, we have all of this at our fingertips, so why wouldn't we follow what the Bible says about money and about debt? So what does the Bible say about debt? Well, the first question that, a lot, that comes to many of our minds is, well, is debt a sin? No. However, the Bible clearly doesn't think it's a really good idea. If you look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse seven, it says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. In Deuteronomy, Moses talks to the Israelites and he's telling them, if you follow God's will uh, and his commands, you'll be blessed. If you don't follow God's commands, you'll be cursed. And he goes through this whole litany of blessings and curses. One of the blessings that Moses says to the Israelites is, you will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. On the other hand, one of the curses that he talks about is he says that other nations will lend money to you, but you will not lend to them. So clearly the Bible thinks it's better to be on the lending side of the equation than on the borrowing side. So the next question that naturally comes is, well, is all debt bad all the time? Well, not necessarily. There are different kinds, different forms of debt. For instance, buying a home, that's one form of debt. Getting an education, paying for that education is another form of debt. Then there's what I like to call medically induced debt. That's where there's been some sort of medical condition that has caused you to go into debt because of all of the medical bills. There's job loss that can result in having to put groceries on a credit card because sometimes that's the reality. So job loss can incur debt. Then there's also what I call possessional debt, which is wanting more than you can currently afford. And that's the one that we need to watch out for. That's the one that we need to be careful about, that possessional debt. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, it says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You see, the pursuit of money, which includes the pursuit of possessions, which require money, can get between us and God. They can interfere with our relationship with God, and debt can empower those pursuits. It can make it a lot easier to go in and follow and get those possessions, even though you can't necessarily afford it. So one of the questions then comes up is, so then does debt make me less of a Christian? No. And I want to be really, really super clear on this point. No. God will love you, and he will not love you any less. He will not forgive you any less or regard you any less because you're in debt. We just sang a song about being a child of God. You are no less a child of God in debt than you are out of debt. In fact, I wanna make a few of these points really, really clear. So we're gonna go through a few of them here. All debt is sin, false. All debt is bad all the time, false. Having debt means I'm a bad person, false. 
Having debt means I can't serve God. False. Having debt means I'm a failure. False. Having debt makes me less of a Christian. False. See, I want you to hear this. Today's lesson is not about shame. It's not about feeling bad. It's about recognizing a potential problem in your life and doing something about it. I wanna be really clear. That's what this whole series is about. It's not about shame. And I wanna make sure that that's really clear. You see, the Bible does tell us that we should be good stewards of what God has given us, that he's blessed us and he wants us to take care of it. In fact, Jesus tells us that we get these blessings and we are, to, we are entrusted with these blessings and we're to take care of them until he returns. In fact, Jesus compares it to a servant who's given the responsibility of managing his master's home while the master is away. In Luke chapter 12, we're gonna be looking at this uh, starting in verse 42. Um, this is not gonna be on the screen. I wanna encourage you to get out your Bible. We have Bibles in the back or get out a Bible app. Yes, I am saying, go ahead, take your phone out in church. It's okay, open up your Bible app. Um, it's for checking your Bible. It's not for you know texting. We know who you are, so uh, don't do that. But we do wanna encourage you to be in the word. We wanna encourage you, get into a reading plan. YouVersion has lots of these. Uh, so does Logos and a number of other uh, tools. So we wanna make sure that you're in the word. So um, looking at Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 42, Jesus is talking. He says, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put the servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks my master won't be back for a while and he starts beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. Now hear this part. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. You see, we're called to be good stewards of what God has given us and to use it to his glory until he returns. So the question becomes, are you fully utilizing what God has entrusted you with? So what else does the Bible say about debt? Well, one of the things that we're told is to remove anything that would separate us from God, anything that gets between us and our relationship with God. And we're told that if something gets between us and God, we're to remove it. In fact, God makes it clear that he doesn't want anything between us. In Exodus chapter 20, verse three, this is the first commandment of the 10 commandments. It says, you must not have any God but me. In other words, don't let anything come between you and God. Don't put anything above God. And if you do, that does become sin. And Jesus makes it clear that if there is something that is causing sin in our life, if there's something that is between us and God, we are to remove it. In fact, he makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 18, verse eight, starting in verse eight, it says, so if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand and one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, is Jesus advocating for self-mutilation? Of course not. What he's trying to say, though, is 
If there's something that is causing sin in your life, if there's something that is getting between you and God, do whatever it takes to get rid of it. Go to extreme measures if you have to. Do whatever you need to do to remove it from your life. So once again, let me be clear. Having debt isn't a sin, but having something that's between you and God and is interfering with your relationship with him is. So can you have debt and still not sin? Yes, you can. But that is a hard road to walk, and there are many snares along the way. You see, sin is a form of bondage. It puts us into bondage. And, and bondage is kind of a, it, it's a funny word. Uh, when I hear bondage uh, for debt, I start to think of Han Solo and his debt to uh, Jabba the Hutt and kind of what happened to him. Uh, he didn't pay his debt. He, yeah. Um, that doesn't happen so much today because that was a long time ago in... You know the rest. I can't say the rest because I'd get sued by George Lucas. So when we talk about the bondage of debt, what we're really talking about is what it does to your heart, what it does to your relationships, what it does to your attitude, and how it can take over your world. We've already said that it can make you a servant to someone else as we looked at Proverbs 22.7, which again says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Debt can also bind our hearts with a great deal of worry. And it's not God's will that we would be worried about things, certainly not worried about money. But being in debt makes us worry about our home, it makes us worry about our career, it makes us worry about our image, all of these different things. And Jesus tells us fairly plainly in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, that is why I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer is no. All your worries cannot add a single moment to your life. Debt can also interfere with our relationships with other people and with God, as we've been talking about. In fact, debt is consistently listed as one of the top issues in marriages and relationships and divorce. Debt is a big deal. And, and that kind of brings up a point. Satan is after our relationships. Make no mistake, he is after our relationship with God and our relationship with others and Debt is just one means of him getting at those relationships and creating discord and issues within them. Debt can also impact our ability to financially help those in needs, in need. So I want you to hear me on this. It can limit our full potential to financially help those in need. Does it limit all our potential to help other people? No. Does it keep us from helping others altogether? No. But if somebody has a financial need, does it limit our ability to help them financially? Yes, it does. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Will all needs be, financially, be financial in nature? No. Will some of them be financial in nature? Yes. 
And so how able are you, as the verse says, to help God's people and to be ready to help them when they're in need, how able are you to help God's people in need if you are bound to debt? It does impact that ability. Look at it another way. Say that I have a spiritual gift of serving others and I can serve other people with my time, but I make the decision, you know what? I'm gonna play video games all day. In fact, Minecraft in particular, I'm just gonna spend my entire day playing Minecraft. Will that affect my ability to serve other people with my time, to give of my time? Yes, of course it will. If I don't leave any hours in the day because I'm spending the entire day playing video games, then I won't have any hours left to serve because math. So debt can affect us in a very similar way. It can also lead to some very bad decision-making. You see, debt emboldens bad decisions by saying that, hey, you can have what you want and you can have it when you want it and there's really no consequences to it. That's a lie. You will pay for it, figuratively and literally. My friends uh, Dwayne and Sandy went through a tough time in their life where money and debt led to some bad decisions and it impacted their stewardship and resulted in some negative consequences. Now, they've been generous enough to share their story with us um, and uh, I really want you to pay attention to what they have to say and what they went through. So take a, take a listen to their story here on the screen. When I became a young Christian, you know, tithing and, you know, giving to God, and I was doing that, I was giving, but it wasn't with a cheerful heart. It had a control over me, and I was trying to control it. So with that being that, I wasn't, I was robbing God. And I didn't realize it until later on, I, I was actually convicted of it. At that time in our lives, we were just trying to make ends meet and um, we had a lot of uh, medical debt and I wasn't paying attention to really what we had. We were just trying to pay bills, um, paycheck to paycheck. And I don't know, one day I went to the bank and started looking a little bit more at our account and it was like these tithe checks weren't being cashed. It was being cashed directly to... To my account. Yeah. and. That's when I had to confront Dwayne and, and ask him about that. So I believe that's why we struggled when we struggled. Mm -hmm. And then when that heart change mm -hmm. happened, it was, like we said, it was freeing. Yeah. I think God allowed for that struggle to be there to get our attention. I think he does that. He, yeah, he does that intentionally. I mean, he's, we have to find, you know, we have to seek him. So once I started doing my own getting to know God, you know, we talk about know God or really knowing God and understanding that, that it all belonged to him anyway. It was just, I was to become a good steward of it. So what it did, it, it changed my attitude and it changed my heart. And then once I was able to give and give with a cheerful heart, it was a total, it was a total transformation. It, trans, it, it transformed our marriage, it transformed everything. It's, now I was on the right page, so to speak. So with that being that, it was, it was total freedom. That's not an easy story to tell. And I so appreciate, appreciate Dwayne and Sandy being courageous enough to share it with us. You see, debt 
and money got in the way of their own relationship and it got in the way of their relationship with God. But as you saw, there is hope as long as you're willing to make some changes. And that's kind of one of the keys to all this is nothing changes if nothing changes. Kind of profound, right? Nothing changes if nothing changes. So what needs to change? What are some things that you could do if you find yourself in debt? What are some of the things that you could do to move away from that? What are some of the changes that you could make to bring yourself out of that bondage? So the the first one, I'm gonna go through seven steps. The first one is to make the commitment to God and to yourself that you're going to get out of debt. Tell God, I'm gonna do this. Tell yourself I'm gonna do this and then tell some friends and family members and ask them to hold you accountable to it. Say, this is what I'm going to do and make that commitment. Step two, don't take on more debt. Just say no, don't borrow more. And that's gonna be hard. Uh, You will struggle, you will face a lot of temptations, and the truth is, it may not even be possible at first. If you are having to pay for groceries because you have zero money, I'm not advocating that you not feed your children. I mean, it depends on the child, I suppose, but I'm not actually advocating that you not feed your children. So don't take on more debt. Step three, put God first in your giving. The Bible teaches that our first fruits should go to God. Now, first fruits, that's kind of a churchy term. Uh, First fruits means whatever you get, whatever you're entrusted with, give it to God first. Give the first amount, skim it right off the top. Give that to God first. Maybe even consider setting up an automatic withdrawal so that it happens first. It's what my family does. We do an automatic withdrawal so that I'm not tempted to go and spend my tithe on photography or something like that. Now, I know there's some debate about whether or not that's a good idea, but it is something that we do and it's something that you should be thinking about to just make it very easy for you to be able to give to God first. Step four, develop a written plan or budget. I know everybody loves Excel and loves spreadsheets and doing these types of things, but it can help. Even if it's just on a piece of paper, write a budget. The the workbooks that we have with this series that we're going through in your small groups uh, have some um, worksheets on them that you can use. We also have some workbooks back at the connecting point that you can pick up today. There are a lot of online resources as well to help you go through and say, where am I spending money? Where can I be spending money? And making sure that it comes out correct, that you end up on the positive side of that. And when you're doing that, include savings in your budget. Maybe not a lot at first. It might only be $10 at first, but get in the habit of starting to put money into savings. That gives you the ability later to help people in financial need as well. Step five is to set an attainable time frame for getting out of debt. Be specific, set a goal. Maybe it's two years, maybe it's five years, maybe it's eight years, whatever it is, set a goal, make sure it's attainable, use that budget that you just wrote, and make sure it's attainable, make sure all the numbers add up, but set a goal for getting out of, a, out of debt. Step six is to adjust your lifestyle. It's possible, depending on how you got into debt, it's possible you may be living beyond your means. So you might have to adjust your lifestyle. You might have to scale back a little bit on what it is that you're buying and what you're purchasing. To help illustrate this point, let me draw your attention to the following public service announcement. I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never gonna get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? (laughs) Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. 
Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in chapter three. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. <laughs> now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? No. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> The advice is priceless, and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. So, yes, it's a little lighthearted. Yes, it's a little bit flippant. Uh, but... This is a heavy topic, and so a little bit of levity was in order, and let's face it, they're not entirely wrong either. Uh, so step seven in the seven steps is to begin to systematically pay off all your debts. Again, you need a written plan, but pay off the smallest obligations first, and then roll those into the next ones. And what you'll see is you'll start to see that debt payment snowball in a very positive way. But be patient, it will take time. And remember, nothing changes if nothing changes. So look at that. See, the question at the end of the day, and as we talked about a little earlier, is are you utilizing what God has entrusted you with? So maybe one of the things that you were given was the spiritual gift of giving. Um, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse six, six, says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Now, I do want you to be careful in this verse. Some of us will look at that and say, well, I wasn't given the gift of encouragement, so I don't need to be encouraging to other people. That is wrong. Um, if you look at the first part of the verse, it says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. We're still called to do all the other things. There are so many verses about encouraging people, about helping people, about giving, and about how we live. You still have to do all of them. So even though your gift may not be encouragement, you may be someone who says, wow, that dress makes you look less fat than normal. Um, you know, it's not your gift. You probably could use a little bit of work on that, but you're still called to do it. You're still called to try, just as all of us are called to give. 
In fact, last week, Dan talked about the four levels of giving. He talked about the hesitant giver, where I don't know if I can trust God, I'm not sure I can afford to give. He talked about the obedient giver, I'm doing what I'm asked to do, bringing God's tithe or his tenth. The abundant giver, I'm bringing God's tithe and giving an offering above and beyond that. And the extravagant giver, I'm giving sacrificially and looking for more ways to give. You see, some of us have that gift of giving, that gift of being an extravagant giver, but again, all of us are called to obedience. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17, it says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should, be always being re- they should always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So let me ask you one more time. Are you fully utilizing what God has entrusted you with? Ask yourself, are you making choices that you know will limit your ability to be a good steward? Are you having to get the newest phone, the latest fashion, the larger home, the nicer car? What are the choices that you're making and are you being a good steward? Now, am I saying it's wrong to own a Lexus or have a nice car or a nice house or anything like that? No, not at all. But what I am saying is that the world will tell you what you can afford based on nothing more than serving yourself and the bank, of course. The world will not tell us what we can afford based on God's priorities. And God's priorities include things like giving back to the church, giving to others, saving even. God's priorities are different than what the world would tell us. So it really comes down to a fairly simple question. What has God entrusted you with and are you using it the way he intends? For some of you, the the answer is an unremitted yes, absolutely. I am using everything the way God intended me to use it and that is fantastic. For others, you may be struggling with that question, and that's okay. It's okay to struggle. You see, some people don't struggle with the issue of money, but they might struggle with an issue of loving others. You may not struggle with an issue of loving other people, but money may challenge your obedience to God. So this is between you and God. This is a conversation between you and God and something that I encourage you to talk to God about. See where he's leading you. Not where I'm leading you, not where Dan's leading you, not where VRL is leading you, but where is God leading you? What is he trying to speak into your life? So let's pray about that and let's ask God to open up our hearts to him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for the truth that it has in it. And Father, I know that the issue of money, the issue of debt, all of this is something that many of us struggle with. But God, I just, feel, I, I just ask that you would open our hearts. I ask that we would listen to what you have to say. And Father, I pray that you would speak into our hearts to let us know if we are truly using what you've entrusted us with. Father, I know that sometimes this is a hard subject but I just pray, Father, that you would put our hearts at ease. I pray, Father, that there would be no shame, but that we would still nonetheless take a critical look at how we are entrusted and what we're doing with what you've given us. Father, I just pray that you would be with us through all this. I know some of us are given much, some of us are given little, but Father, I know that you want us to use that to glorify you and to glorify your kingdom. 
So Father, be with us today, be with us the rest of this week, and just put on our hearts what you have for us. Father, speak into our hearts, and I pray, God, that we would listen. Thank you for your son who makes all of this possible. It's in his name we pray. Amen.